Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. All right, folks, welcome to another edition of Theology Matters with the Palous. I am your host, Devin Palou, and very excited that uh, we are going to be able to do a part two of the show that we started last week on uh, the Bible and homosexuality. Now, some people may think, uh, you know, why in the world would you guys need to do a show on the Bible and and homosexuality? What would be the point uh, of that? Because the Bible is pretty clear on these issues. But uh, for those who may not be, <clears throat> for example, at the universities or doing those kind of ministries, um, there is a big push uh, recently within the, the LGBT uh, community that is really, uh, you have guys like Matthew Vines and others that are really trying to uh, push um, theological arguments and try, try and claim that the Bible um, does not have anything necessarily negative to say about kind of monogamous, uh, faithful, homosexual uh, relationships. And um, so from the outset, you know, for some it may sound strange as to why do we even need to do a show on this? Uh, now, we have we have talked about this show in the past, kind of how to deal with uh, some of the secular arguments and, and looking at natural law and that. Uh, but we just see more and more and more of a push towards um, the biblical arguments. Um, several of our students, for example, uh, where I do Ratio Christi at, uh, the the apologetics ministry, their professors actually assign them in the class to read uh, articles and arguments from Matthew Vines. Uh, and again, Matthew Vines, uh, we'll talk to, to Pastor Jason here in a moment and let him kind of explain that, but he's he's uh, one of the big pushers of this movement. So we have to deal with these arguments. Uh, we have to kind of show where they've been flawed. And so we have brought in uh, Pastor Jason Wallace from Christ Presbyterian Church. He's going to—he's joining us again. He is uh, a pastor out in Salt Lake City, and uh, was just talking to him. We're expecting a a big snowstorm. He was the host of Ancient Paths uh, Television. I, I think I don't think they're they're doing that anymore, but it's on YouTube. You can find like seven years worth of their programs, which are excellent. Uh, Pastor Wallace has uh, participated in numerous moderated debates on topics such as Mormonism, uh, the Doctrine of the Trinity, um, LGBT, that's one of the big issues I brought him on. He just recently did a debate with that, and uh, we're going to have him talk a little bit about that. Uh, but he's done a lot of things, outreach to, to Mormons. Um, he's just a very active guy uh, out there, and he loves people and he wants to see them come to Christ. Uh, so if you're in that area, the Salt Lake area, please check out Christ Presbyterian Church. They need good godly men that are going to come alongside Pastor Jason and labor with him and really be a beacon of light uh, in that community. But Pastor Jason, are you with us? Yes, I am. It's uh, great to be with you again, Devin. Yes, very, very good uh, to have you back. I know we spent two hours last week talking about these issues, but, uh, man, they're so big and they're so numerous. Um, 
it takes a little more time, uh, probably in two hours, but um, maybe just uh, touch on for those who, who maybe haven't listened uh, to the first part. And folks, I would, I would recommend if you've not listened to the first part, you can go to our Facebook page, Theology Matters with the Palouse, uh, or iTunes, uh, Android, etc. You can get the podcast and kind of catch up. But um, as, as I was saying uh, a little bit, Pastor Jason, uh, some Christians, maybe 30, 40 and up, that are you know haven't been on the on the university campus or etc. in a while, they're going to think, why would you need to do a show on what the Bible says about homosexuality? Because it could be handled in about five minutes. Uh, what would you say to that? Why do Christians need to study this issue? Well, this is, to, to some degree, the issue of our day. I mean, this is how enemies of Christ Church are attacking us. Uh, I mean, all you have to do is look at the redefinition of marriage uh, that our Supreme Court has done. It is it's coming at us from all sides. The... Uh, the government and others are pushing this idea that they're offering freedom and tolerance by condoning this and and uh, seeking to silence opposition. Uh, you know, bakers and photographers and people like this uh, all have to get in line. Uh, it's it's getting to the point that. If you if you hold government employment, uh, you're you're going to be under pressure. Uh, the just this week, uh, the Gaineses uh, who have uh, a show. What is that? I think the show is called Fixer Upper on HGTV. Right. They uh, within the last uh, week week and a half, you know, this is they've been under attack because they attend a church that actually believes the Bible. So it's coming at, at us from the culture. At the same time, people within the church, such as Matthew Vines, who grew up in a more conservative mainline Presbyterian church, uh, not that they were really that conservative, but more conservative than than some, um, he has become a spokesman for people saying that the Bible actually doesn't address this within the context of a loving, committed relationship. And he he puts together an argument that resonates with a lot of people who have a superficial knowledge of God's Word. And so at the same time that the culture is coming against us, we have people undermining us from behind. And I'm watching churches fall right and left. I mean, if you don't if you wonder why this is an important subject, just look at the mainline denominations. Which, What mainline Protestant denominations still stand for uh, this to even be a sin? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, first it was United Church of Christ, and uh, then the Episcopal Church, and the LCA. Uh, the United Methodists have, have basically caved on it. Um, uh, the Presbyterian Church USA caved on it even before that. Uh, the mainline Protestant churches have capitulated. And now, if you look around, you see uh, Southern Baptist churches capitulating on it. You see, um, I mentioned to you last time I was on here, uh, there are a lot of 
self-described fundamentalist churches. Um, a member congregation of, of the IFCA, uh, the Independent Fundamentalist Churches of America, uh, here in Utah, uh, has capitulated and said, well, you know, this is not something that we would recommend. It's not God's perfect will for your life, but it shouldn't be, it's not a salvation issue. Uh, Charles Stanley teaches that. Uh, Andy Stanley goes even further. And, I mean, they've had active homosexuals serving in leadership positions, as I understand it. So, I mean, it's everywhere. Right. And, you know, I, I talk to conservative pastors, and it's they're getting challenged from within their own churches because the the message that they're hearing is that the church is driving people away, uh, that we need to be loving and accepting, and that uh, by holding to to this, we're not really showing the love of Jesus. And you know, uh, Jen Hatmaker and others have uh, uh, Christian artists and and others. Have, they're all falling in line, and so. I, I can't imagine anyone who is in touch with the culture around them wondering why this is an important issue. I mean, what what the what many people have been pushing in our culture is you you get rid of freedom of religion, freedom of speech, all these other freedoms. In return, you get freedom to commit what the Bible calls fornication. And it's sex as the prama, as, as the wedge. And we're being uh, portrayed as the totalitarians uh, for saying God defines marriage. We're, we're being considered totalitarian because we say, please don't do this, it's sinful. Um, meanwhile, you know, you can lose your job. Yeah. Over this, uh, fire chief in Georgia, he uh, wrote a book for men in which he mentioned homosexuality as a sin, and he's considered not able to serve in that job anymore. Uh, a Seventh Day Adventist lay pastor was hired in Georgia uh, for a government position, and when some of his sermons got out where he said that this was sinful, the state retracted their job offer. Wow. Yeah, they they will punish you. Yeah, they will punish you. Well, I mean, you know, look at what happened with Chick-fil-A a few years ago. I mean, Dan Cathy simply said that he supported the Bible's definition of marriage. He didn't express any hate. He didn't expect anything. He just said, uh, God has defined marriage in his word. And what we're seeing is a French Revolution kind of mentality that will tolerate no disagreement. They're the most, in in the name of tolerance, they're intolerant of everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, they are. 
can I can I ask you a question about this? So, <clears throat> for me, I'm not uh, I'm not that old. I'm 38, so still got some years hopefully left in me, God willing. But uh, this whole homosexual issue in the church, I guess from my perspective, uh, as far as people trying to justify, like actually give arguments, is something that's been relatively new. Uh, that I've seen, so I was I was going to ask you this this whole debate that we're seeing, um, just for the for the listeners out there who may not know the background, is this a debate that has raged <laughs> for you know for thousands of years, like you know uh, Calvinism and Arminianism or eschatology or something, or is this a kind of a, a a new thing on the scene? In it, it, uh, this is this is a new thing in itself it it's feeding off some old issues you know what what is the nature of 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 conversion uh is it uh is is discipleship optional is repentance optional um you know it it's it's tying in with some older debates but very very few people i mean um 40 years ago hardly anyone was actually arguing for uh, anything like this. I mean, there were people who were arguing for it, but among the, the liberals, you had people who were basically saying that we need to accept these people into the church, and right. you know, we need to be loving to them. And these were churches that had compromised God's word numerous other times. So first, it was acceptance. Then once they were accepted, then, well, why can't they serve? And so then it became ordination. And so we saw through the um, through the 90s, basically capitulation after capitulation, uh, to um, in, into the 2000s, when you had the United Church of Christ fell to this, I want to say in the late 70s. I'm not, I don't have the, the dates in front of me, but the Episcopal Church, uh, you had uh, Bishop Gene Robinson, uh, you know, his being an open homosexual was a, uh, was a bit of an issue, but even in the Episcopal Church, you you didn't have the majority back in the 80s and even into the 90s. But uh, the wow. most of these churches had given up discipline uh, a couple of generations ago, and so this was just sort of natural. And when, when you don't have discipline within a church, all you have left is politics. And the conservatives will always lose politics because the pressures are just going to keep eroding the ground out from under you. And so uh, then the um, you had the ELCA uh, start faltering on this in the nineties. Um, I don't I don't have the dates in front of me, but it's it's been sure um, it's been within the last twenty years that you've seen most of these churches really capitulate to ordaining homosexuals, and now redefining marriage as well. Uh, I debated an American Baptist 
uh, pastor. This is the old Northern Baptist denomination uh, back in September. And he was expressing this, that the church has grown in its understanding. And I, I asked him, I said, would you say the church has grown in its understanding to the point of rejecting gender binaries? And he said, yes. I mean, once you wow. cut yourself off from the anchor of God's word, other than inertia, you really don't have much keeping you in place. <laughs> and so the the tides definitely against biblical standards. And the um, you know, when to give you some context, I think it was in 1986, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the state of Georgia. Uh, Georgia keeps coming up in the conversation today. I'm a, I'm a Georgia native. <laughs> but in the Hardwick case, uh, Supreme Court upheld state laws against sodomy. All that went out the window about, oh, I want to say 14 years ago, when uh, the Supreme Court all of a sudden discovered a constitutional right to sodomy. Mm. And... That was um, that was followed by the um, Romer decision, where the state of Colorado passed laws preventing special rights for homosexuals um, within their because municipalities were were giving them rights that other people didn't have. And the Supreme Court shot it down because it, even though it was a, something passed by the state legislature and voted on by the public, they said it wasn't valid law because it, it showed an animus towards homosexuals and basically hostility. Wow. And so, no big surprise that, you know, when you get to where we are now. But, you know, one of the great challenges is that there's such biblical illiteracy. You know, we, yeah. we've reduced everything down to a um, feeling. You know, instead of right. promoting biblical Christianity, we promote a personal relationship with Jesus that you get to define on your own terms. Yeah. And... Along comes a Matthew Vines who, uh, four years ago, burst on the scene as a as a 22 year old, who gives a somewhat emotive presentation at a United Methodist Church in Wichita, Kansas, and he talks about how he's discovered that the Bible has absolutely nothing to say about loving, committed homosexual relationships. And for a lot of people, especially young people who who are this next generation uh, after the sexual revolution, that that sounds wonderful. And he he packages it in a way that connects with people who have a superficial knowledge of the Bible. Right. You know, he makes arguments like, "Well, that's that's Leviticus." And Leviticus says that we're not to eat shellfish and pork. And the, and the church doesn't see those as sins anymore. So it's completely arbitrary that the church would see these as sins today. 
he says that when Paul in Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6 deals with this, that this these, these are relationships with an abusive uh, uh, you know, context and that this is something that uh, was often unequal and not voluntary, and that we shouldn't we shouldn't think that just because he's condemning these things that he's condemning these kinds of relationships within loving, committed, monogamous relationships. Now, of course, the reality is that very few homosexuals are involved in a monogamous relationship. Uh, right. But the but it sounds good, and it sounds. Yeah. It it allows people to take the easy way mm-hmm. and sound loving. And so what we did is we put together uh, a video to answer these things and to show the problems in what he's saying. Because the Bible does directly address all these things. And, you know... He, he frames the debate in a way that's very manipulative. He says there's only half a dozen passages in all the Bible, and most of those are in the Old Testament. And the others need to be understood in the context of love and acceptance. And for a whole lot of evangelicals, they don't have a basis on which to, to challenge, you know, to respond to that. <clears throat> right. Yeah, yeah, it's like it sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I was just it, it. It sounds good, you know. It's um, I was gonna I was gonna play this clip, and um, I think it may give the, the people, um, maybe who are not familiar with this discussion, how that. I think I don't want to say it's manipulative, but what it does is it pulls on the heartstrings. This is from the trailer. I think it's called um, Through. Through their eyes, or some something to that effect. Have you heard of that documentary? I think I've heard of it. Yeah. Okay, and I, I believe that they're professing Christians, um, and uh, they're just talking about their struggles with homosexuality and how, you know, the church has been the biggest problem in in you know, uh, you know, making them depressed, etc. But let me play this clip and then you just get your thoughts and. I just want the people to kind of hear some of the the way uh, these these things are kind of produced and, and pushed. I would say I became a Christian when I was probably seven years old. I don't remember the exact time, but I remember that I had truly accepted Christ as my personal Savior, that I had prayed the prayer and that I truly believed it. I, I knew that I had a blood in my heart that couldn't be filled with anything else. And so I uh, got really involved with that church and uh, was involved with the youth group there, was a youth leader, was president of the Christian club in high school. Gay is wrong and you're going to hell. I was like, well, gay is wrong, you know. So why am I having these feelings? So I kept praying and praying and praying and I would go to my bedroom and, um, Cry and cry and cry, like, you know, Lord, take this away, you know, take it away. And it honestly was something that I thought I'd never tell anyone about. I was very 
dead set and no, it's being gay is wrong. So I, I can't be gay. I'm not gay. It's that's a choice. I'm not gonna make that choice. Started getting really depressed because like God doesn't like me. God hates me. I'm, I'm going to hell. And I didn't have anybody to talk to uh, about it because I was I was afraid to. And he looked at me and he said, Rob, you'll probably always be gay. I can't change your feelings, but we can change your behaviors. And so that was very discouraging to me because I'm like, well, that's not good enough. I felt uncomfortable talking to any other Christians about it because of how fearful my pastor seemed about the whole topic, and that made me afraid as well, afraid of rejection. I kind of felt like I was a disease. <laughs> I know you've tried to change it. I know that it hasn't worked. But still, this is really something that I can't get my head around. There's a lot of confusion on the part of the gay world as to what it means to be a Christian. And there's a lot of confusion on the part of the church of what it means to be gay. And I think that there's so much confusion that no one has stopped and said, well, why don't we go ask them? So this is a film uh, that is called Through My Eyes. Uh, it is a series by um, the Gay Christian Network. Justin Justin Lee, I think, is the one that runs it. Have you heard of this uh, film before? Yeah, yeah. Now that you uh, now that you've made the connection, I, I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. I've, I think I saw um, a clip from it, but that's about it. It's got on the kind of the disclaimer. It says uh, over two dozen young Christians agreed to share their private feelings, struggles, and experiences with us on camera. All of them hope that their stories might make a difference. Uh, this film, created for Christians by Christians, tackles one of the most controversial issues today with compassion, sensitivity, and a decidedly Christ-centered approach. I think what's telling about it is, you know, as they're talking. You feel sympathy for them, you know. It's. I think we've probably all seen Christians handle um, maybe homosexuals wrongly, you know, being nasty or angry or whatever. But I think this is where they they really can trip people up. I think this is where a lot of you, you see a lot of Christians almost throw the, their biblical worldview out the door because they can't reconcile how you can still be loving and still and not compromise truth. Maybe you can talk to this and just, I'd, I'd like your thoughts on what you, what you just heard. Sure. Um, there's been such an emphasis, and you heard it in, in some of the clips there, of Christianity as a social group as a as a mystical feeling there's within the church that there's not a lot of ground for people to stand against this it it's it's aimed to manipulate people where they are well the reality is just because i call myself a christian doesn't make me one uh, just because uh, some, if a man wants to self-identify as a woman, it doesn't make him a woman. Uh, if someone wants to self-identify as debt-free, um, that doesn't mean that their creditors aren't going to come after them. 
there, there's reality, <laughs> and but we we've created this idea within the church that we don't ever question whether someone's actually a Christian, right? And the way that these most of these people have been brought into the church is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Come join us, and we'll be your friends, and we'll, you know, and it, it's it's pious. Um, how to how to how to phrase it? I mean, there's a reason that a lot of people who join the Mormon Church don't recognize that there's any difference between it and the evangelical church from which they've come, right? Because. They don't deal with who is God, who is man, what is sin, who is Jesus Christ, what is salvation. There, there's a vague, there are vague notions of substance, there are vague notions of behavior, and you're just supposed to be nice to everybody. Well, the reality is, the reason that people... Uh, are tempted to homosexual behavior is because they're sinners. I'm tempted to numerous sinful behaviors. Uh, homosexual behavior isn't one of them. But I'm tempted to a whole host of other ones. The scripture is clear as to these things being sinful my response should be to love Jesus and hate sin and to wrestle against these temptations. There is no promise in God's word that I'm not going to be tempted as long as I'm in this world. I I think the cry of a believer is, is along with Paul in Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We trivialize God, we trivialize sin, and therefore when people actually don't find this immediate deliverance, you know, some, especially among some of the Pentecostals, you know, you're supposed to get this second blessing and you're never, you know, you're supposed to get to this higher level. And the reality is it doesn't come. Um, they still wrestle with sin. So... True believers can wrestle with all kinds of temptations. True believers can fall into sin. But when you identify yourself as, I am a Christian and I'm a homosexual. Uh, they like to use the term gay. I mean, that's a, it's like I'm not fat, I'm fabulous. You know, why, why don't we use language that means things? I mean, it, it's, it's a joke. But they want to call themselves gay. Oh, all right, fine. You can't be gay and Christian. Jesus defines Christianity. Jesus defines love. And at the heart of Matthew Vine's argument is he assumes he can define love against the Bible. He doesn't let God define love. If he feels something that he thinks is love, it's love. And that's 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 not the reality. But long story short, uh on 
these kind of things, they betray the weak. This is a symptom of deeper issues in the church, I think, rather than a fundamental issue in itself. But we have to deal with what manifests itself. Jesus, through his apostle Paul, makes clear that if you practice homosexuality, this is 1 Corinthians 6, if you practice adultery, if you practice theft, if you practice covetousness, you're not just falling into sin, you're not just uh, tempted to sin, but you're practicing these things, you're living in these things, you're not a Christian. Your heart has not been changed. He says, do not be deceived. Because the temptation is to be deceived. The temptation is to think, I'm right with God. You know, we heard somebody say they walked now and they prayed the prayer. And probably somebody assured them, you're now a Christian and don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. Because that's to question God. And God, you you don't believe God's a liar, do you? <laughs> right. Uh God's no liar, but that's not what he says in his word. If someone truly believes on Christ, they are truly a Christian and they will and they will persevere because he preserves them. But there's a whole lot of people who will say to him in the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, I never knew you. And that fear of the Lord is almost impossible to find except except in the people who go nutty to the other extreme and, and seem to get some kind of relish in, in confining everybody else to hell rather than recognizing they're a sinner as well right right folks we are on the air with uh, pastor jason wallace we are taking your phone calls at 760-542-3907 Seven six zero five four two three nine zero seven. We're going to go ahead and take a short break. And uh, if you guys have a question or or a comment or anything for for Pastor Jason, feel free to call. We would love to hear from you. And uh, stay with us. We'll be back after this. Welcome to the One Minute Apologist. One minute apologist. If you had one minute apologist. to be able to unpack. For the audience, we interview the world's leading apologists to provide credible answers to curious questions. My question to you is, are Mormons Christians? Well, if a Christian is somebody who believes certain basic doctrines, uh, actually there are 14 of them. They're found in the Apostles' uh, Creed. They're found in the Bible as the basis uh, for the gospel. You have to believe in one God, that there's three persons in one God. You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus was a human. Man's a sinner. Jesus died for our uh, sins. You have to be justified by faith. If you line up those essential doctrines, there are about 14 of them, you'll see that Mormons deny most of them. So the question is, can you be a Christian and deny most of the fundamental Christian doctrines? And the answer is no. Uh, could you be a Buddhist and deny most of the fundamental Buddhist doctrines? Could you be a Muslim and deny uh, that uh, God is Allah and Muhammad was his prophet and that the Quran is the word of God? Obviously not. Uh, you can claim to be, but you aren't really because it doesn't correspond uh, to the fact. So Mormons are not uh, Christians. Jehovah's Witnesses are not Christians because they all deny crucial, fundamental Christian doctrines, which makes them not Christian. People say, well, 
but they believe in God. Yeah, but which God? Uh, it's a finite God. It's a progression of God. It's a form of polytheism. They believe in Jesus. Yeah, but what Jesus? Uh, is Jesus the brother of Lucifer? That's what Mormons believe. Right. Uh, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is Michael the Archangel. Well, can he be saved by believing in an angel? Uh, Michael the Archangel? Obviously not. So they claim to be Christian, but they don't prove to be Christian. to the Ankerberg Minute with apologist and best-selling author Dr. John Ankerberg. In today's postmodern culture, people increasingly ask, does absolute truth exist? Some claim our beliefs and values are purely subjective, based on no absolute moral authority. But is this what the Bible communicates? Certainly not. The Bible declares that God's words are absolutely true. The psalmist wrote that the laws of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The Apostle Paul noted that all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. While today's skeptics may question whether truth exists, God has provided a clear response for those seeking a perfect standard on which to base their life. Allow God's perfect truth to refine your heart and life today. For additional resources on this topic, log on to johnankerberg.org. Here's a Renewing Your Mind Minute with Dr. R.C. Sproul. Spiritual rebirth is the work of God. When Paul speaks in Ephesians 2 about being quickened by the Holy Ghost while we're dead in sin and trespasses, he's talking about regeneration, which is a supernatural work. It is a work done from above by the immediate power of God, and it is something that only God can do. You cannot. Make yourself be reborn. Any more than Lazarus could have brought himself out of the tomb. Just as you did not do anything for your natural birth except be born, so your rebirth is a matter of the mercy and grace of God. For today's special offer, visit renewingyourmind.org. All right, folks, and we are back. We're discussing the issue of uh, what the Bible has to say about homosexuality. This is uh, part two from our discussion last week. We would encourage you, uh, if you've not heard that episode, to go to our uh, Facebook page, Theology Matters with the Palouse, and you can find our archives there, and uh, you'll find the show that we did last week about this. Uh, Pastor Jason, I was going to see maybe if you could talk just a moment about... um, that clip that we heard was produced by the Gay Christian Network. Um, are you familiar with with that? And, and can you kind of talk to to us about what that is and that for those who are not familiar with it? I'm not all that familiar with them as an organization. I mean, I know a little bit about them. Uh, they uh, they are part of this same movement. Uh, Matthew Vines is doing his own thing, from what I gather, but somewhat in concert with him a bit. Uh, he started his own group called the Reformation Project. But these are people who are working within the evangelical church 
to push the acceptance of homosexuality. Uh, Get Christian Network, I know they've had conventions, Reformation Project, I think, had uh, one back in October uh, in L.A. And they network people, and uh, they, they, they're getting funding from a number of sources to, to agitate for these things. And so um, they're, they're putting stuff out on the Internet. They're uh, providing opportunities for people to network and encourage them that, you know, don't let anyone tell you that you're not a Christian. Don't let anyone tell you that this is wrong. The Bible doesn't say these things. And they, they've become a, a source for a lot of people who are questioning uh, you know they're tempted to various things, and um, from what I from what I understand, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm not that familiar with Gay Christian Network per se, but um, you know they even become places where hom- homosexual couples can meet and uh, pair up. Uh, I know that Misty Irons, um, Lee Irons' wife, has address them. I've, I've listened to a couple of presentations she's made uh, to the Gay Christian Network. It's basically just demonizing anyone who doesn't agree with them, and you know they're on the side of Jesus, they're on the side of love, and uh, this is just the way God made you, and God doesn't make you uh, trash. Yeah, on their uh, on their. Go to the Reformation Project. If you look at their mission and strategy, it says Reformation Project is a Bible-based Christian direct action organization that works to promote inclusion of the LGBT people by reforming church teaching on sexual orientation and gender identity. Our vision is uh, of a global church that fully affirms LGBT people. And uh looks like they have pretty big conferences. They got one coming up in Los Angeles and that so you know, so I think what we're saying folks is it really is uh seems to be a, a big movement. Uh not not just where they're you know, you, you have some homosexuals that just laugh at the Bible and, you know, will mock it and say, you know, well you guys just believe a book of fairy tales. But I think the concerning thing is is the people that are claiming to be Christians, claiming to be believers and uh, are wanting to basically rehaul the church's teachings uh, on this. Is it, would that be correct, Pastor? Yeah, I mean, it's one thing when it's clearly the world that is attacking you, when, but when when you're getting shot at from behind by professing Christians, this is, um, you know, it, it gets a lot more difficult. And the churches that are doing this, um, it's it's causing a lot of doubt for people. I mean, they've watched uh, the United Church of Christ, the Episcopal Church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church, uh, the the Presbyterian Church USA, uh, the American Baptist Church, the um, uh, the United Methodist Church, and now even some Southern Baptists are all approving of this stuff. And a lot of the mega churches, you know, the non-denominational churches, are approving of these things. And um, you know, Charles Stanley 
his whole conception of conversion is a contractual one. Uh, he, he doesn't seem to really focus on the new heart and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as inseparable from forgiveness. And uh, for him, every all the warnings in Scripture deal with rewards. So, for instance, in the parable of the talents, where you have um, the servant that, that does nothing with his talent but buries it and, and gives it over, when he's thrown into outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, uh, when you have the man without the wedding garment, uh, a couple of chapters earlier in Matthew, Charles Stanley says that these are Christians who are in the kingdom, but they're outside of the immediate presence of Christ. They've not. They've. They're weeping and lamenting that they have not taken advantage of their opportunity to earn rewards. It's this is this is a you know really really cheap grace view, and with cheap grace, if all these other sins uh, are not warning signs, then why would homosexuality, you know, homosexual behavior be? Right. You know, and of course, you know, they respond to everything by saying, well, that's legalism and you're adding works to grace and this and that and the other. It's like, no. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Uh, by, you know, First John 2, by this we know that we know him, uh, that we keep his commandments. My My wife may be really impressed by me telling her I love her, <clears throat> until I tell her I also love some some woman down the street. Right. Uh, it, it's not it's not a both end kind of situation. And so, with the pressures from without, and with the you know the cheap grace, the decisional regeneration, and all these things that have defined so much of American evangelicalism. I don't think this should be a big surprise. But Quick we've tried to, you, you know, you. yeah, go ahead. With um with with those like Charles Stanley and kind of in that um free grace camp or whatever they would even call themselves. Do they or or how would they practice church discipline? Most of them don't. Um I mean, when I was in seminary 20 years ago, and, I mean, I was an older student at the time. Um, I was taking an ex-Jesus class on 1 Corinthians. Uh, they, they're just just in, uh, near where you are in, uh, in Charlotte. And professor asked out of curiosity, how many of your churches still practice church discipline? I was the only one in the whole class. Wow. wow. I mean... Matthew 18 discipline is just about unheard of here in the state of Utah. I mean, you've got sort of pastors who are somewhat more like popes than they are anything else. And, 
you know, they may just come along and tell somebody to leave. But the idea of going individually, going with witnesses, telling it to the church, and the church um, dealing with this, I, I could probably count, I have to stop and think, but maybe on one hand, number of churches I know of that actually do practice church wow. discipline. Wow. Why do you I mean, think if they that do is? Any, Because, well, here in Utah especially, it's because the Mormon Church actually practices discipline, and oh. no, no one wants to be confused with the Mormon Church. Well, the funny thing is, the Mormons are actually more, you know, as as wrong as they are on everything else. They have a visible church. Um, a whole lot of the churches here, you know, I use the term the way they use it, but they're not churches, according to the Bible. They have no discipline. They have no membership. They have no accountability. There's there's no there's no covenant community. They're just a show to which people show up. And they drift in, and they drift out, and they call it a church. Yeah, and that's that seems to be the case in a lot, a lot of places as to where church membership is not something that is seen as uh, important at all. And, of course, church discipline is a lot of times seen as unloving in that. But um, it's like you say, you know, those are, those are some of the marks of a true church. You know, it's one of the things I really appreciate about the Nine Marks movement, you know, as a Baptist anyway, that's come in and really brought some of that stuff back to the SBC. And uh, just the importance of those marks. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I was I was thinking of Paige Patterson saying that. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's actually a denomination for for you guys, and it's not Southern Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> Starts with a P, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah um, y'all y'all have to figure out how to spell Presbyterian, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, just a joke. Anyway, um, but yeah, it's it's good to see. I, I, all joking aside, I rejoice to see that there have been reforms within the Southern Baptist Church. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how long it holds together um, when yeah. when you've got two radically different views of the church and the gospel and. God and everything else. Yep. Um, yep. Good point. Going on there. Um, I, I I I try to pray for y'all, but uh, <laughs> I'm I'm, form, I'm former Southern Baptist, but you know but, how it is, yeah. man. Yeah, I mean, I as a Southern Baptist, I mean, I know that this is not everywhere, but I was never taught. Any substance. I I asked the pastor once about the Trinity. He said the Trinity is a mystery. We it was basically a, a watered down and sweetened up as much as they could, and then you were you know once you got in, then they tried to get you to where you would go and get other people to come in. But the idea of making disciples and teaching them to observe all things Christ had commanded, um, we didn't have a clue what that was. 
Right. Right. Talk to us yeah, um, maybe a little bit about the – I know you had this uh, a recent debate with this gentleman. What are some of the, um, I don't know, uh, top three or four arguments you see from this side um, kind of promoting the LGBT um, arguments? One of the things I really appreciated in that debate is you kept going back and saying – God has spoken. God has spoken. And uh, I think it was brilliant because what it really showed was this guy didn't care. He didn't care that God had spoken. And he just had his own, yeah, I mean, he, own kind of theology, and that was it. Yeah, he, I mean, he admitted in the debate that he would stand in Paul's face and tell him he was wrong on a whole bunch of things, including uh, the issue of homosexuality. <laughs> And so, uh, I mean, the, the, the arguments that you'll hear, they'll try to divorce Paul from Jesus. Uh, yeah, you have to remind people sometimes that Jesus didn't directly write anything in the scriptures. The red letters are no, are no more important than the black letters. Uh, Jesus spoke through his apostles. He's he, he's the one who who called them and through his spirit guided them in in giving us the scriptures. But uh, they'll try to divorce Paul from Jesus. They try to write off what's said in Genesis uh, about Sodom by quoting from Ezekiel sixteen. I think it is, and they, um, I apologize, I didn't have the thing in front of me here, but they'll quote from Ezekiel where they'll say that the sin of of, of Sodom was uh, that they uh, were inhospitable and didn't care for the poor. Well, they don't read the very next verse where it says, and they committed toavah um, in Hebrew. They committed abomination which is the language of, of Leviticus um, describing homosexuality. They'll, they're selective in how they deal with things. So they'll, they'll misquote Ezekiel to try to trump Sodom. They'll try to write off Leviticus by saying, well, that's, that's where you see shellfish being prohibited. And we don't think that's a sin anymore. That's just cultural. And in our video, we go through and we show that's not the case. I mean, the fact that it appears in Leviticus, why not just say in the Bible, it says that you're not to eat shellfish. So why do we believe right. anything in the Bible anymore? Leviticus 18 is very clear that this is not ceremonial law. It starts off by telling Israel, don't be like the Egyptians and the Canaanites. And it goes through and it lists incest, adultery, uh, homosexual behavior, bestiality, child sacrifice, and uh, then it, it says, uh, if you it's for these reasons I'm destroying the Canaanites before you, and if you do these things. I will destroy you as well. And in Leviticus 20, 
the civil penalty is prescribed that if anyone in Israel does do these things, Israel is to separate themselves from that guilt by executing them. That's not shellfish. That's not wearing clothes of mixed fibers. That's not trimming your beard. Those are very different sections. Uh, Matthew Vines and others, you know, tried to to, to blur those distinctions. Uh, the minister that I debated, he he was get, providing a much more emotive argument that. Uh, I needed to repent of all the pain I was causing and told me I was in sin because there were people hurting. And that that resonates with a surprising number of people, you know, because they, they, they think, okay, well, um, people are hurting, you know, and I'm supposed to be nice. But the the point in Scripture is that we're called to speak the truth in love. The, the, the equivalent of what we, or ministers in particular, would do, be doing if we speak peace to these people when God speaks otherwise would be like a doctor finding that someone has a treatable cancerous tumor that's causing them pain. But rather than giving them the hard news that they have to undergo surgery and uh, have uh, suffer pain to deal with this, we just give them a shot of, of opium, you know, of um, morphine. It makes them feel really good. Yeah. But it doesn't cure them. The reality is if someone's a practicing homosexual, they're not a Christian. And we we're, we see over and over Jesus warning, you know, I mentioned before, uh, from Matthew 7 and, and Luke. You, you have uh, the people there, you taught in our streets. We've eaten and drunk in your presence. He says, I never knew yeah. you. Yeah, right. right. The, of the ten virgins, they all look ready. To, for the coming of the bridegroom. But five of them had an outward show but had no substance. There was no oil. Uh, the parable of the talents, you have a man there that um, he's a servant of the Lord. But he's cast out. Uh, the sheep and goats, you know, comes right after that and you know when Lord when did we see you hungry and not feed you when you didn't do it to the least of these my brethren there are people who will go, who will go to the day of judgment confident that everything is right only fi- to find out they've been deceived and Paul says don't be deceived and so, you know, he tried to portray me as a as a uh, Pharisee. He said I was training at gnats and swallowing camels. He said I was focusing on minutia. When my turn came, I got up and I tried to tell people, I'm not here to address you as a self-righteous Pharisee. 
I'm here to address you as a fellow sinner who's found freedom and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. I said, I'm the worst sinner I know because I've had a glimpse into my heart. I haven't had a glimpse in any of yours. Yeah. Yes. The, the funny thing is, you, you debated another gentleman that uh, went about the, those exact same tactics on you, which is funny because it was just a total, it was a totally different, uh, you know, discussion. But uh, that's, you know, that seems to be the modus operandi. You know, if you don't have an argument, just assassinate the character. Yeah, well, most people are, you know, we've lived sheltered lives in America. And so when somebody tells a Christian, you're being mean, the the immediate response for most people is, oh, wait a minute, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be. Right. And if they don't back up, and they just keep pressing. A lot of people just don't want to get involved. And, you know, a lot of the, you know, there are churches that are embracing this, but there's a whole lot of churches that are just trying to ignore it. And they say, well, we don't get into things like that. We just try to preach Jesus. Uh are they preaching the Jesus who said, "If your if 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 your right eye offends you, pluck it out. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. Because it's better to go into life halt and maimed than than uh, than to be cast body and soul into hell. Is it the Jesus that says?" Uh, Anyone who hates not his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his own life, you know, his own life also can't be my disciple. I, I, I don't think that's right. the Jesus they're preaching. Yeah, and I think the way you just avoid those issues is just, uh, you know, as they accuse you of, well, don't get into the weeds, <laughs> you know, don't get into the minutia, just focus on love. And then they just have this uh, definition of love. They're assuming a definition of love uh, that's really divorced from the scriptures. Yeah, in fact, it's antithetical to the scriptures. It's the exact opposite. Right. You know, Proverbs says the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Hmm. And you know. As much as I may be, you know, let's let's change the context on this. Uh, I may feel love for some woman down the street. Um, I've used this illustration twice, but um, there's no woman down the street. But, uh, but you know, I may feel what I think is love, but it's sinful. Um, I'm married to someone else. And if I if I divorce my wife and get this woman to divorce her husband and run off with her, am I loving her? <laughs> I'm leading her in rebellion against God. Yeah. yeah. And 
you know, of course, the reality is that it seems like about 90% of the time that that happens, people find out they're in, they end up married to the same person they were married to before. Um, but there's with a whole lot more heartache and, and wreckage around them. But the um, adultery is sinful. And no matter what you may feel towards the other person, love is defined by God. Love means seeking their best interest within the context of what God's revealed. And I'm not I'm not loving someone if I'm if I'm leading them to their own destruction. That's yeah, lust. and that's yeah, that's the whole difference uh when it's easy to just affirm people and what they like and not have to get controversial. But again, one of the things that I've noticed, I guess, just being at the university and we actually have a pretty, pretty uh, okay crowd of LGBT um, folks that come to our meetings, and though they don't agree with us, and we don't compromise, though, it's a thing. And, and, you know, when this whole thing happened with Jen Hatmaker and that, it was so frustrating because, you know, they they will hear you out. They'll respect you, even if they don't necessarily agree with you, if they know that you love them and you're 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 arguing your position well or making your case. I think so many in the church just think the only way to love them is to just throw out a biblical worldview. And it's funny because on so many other places where I've seen believers stand strong, when it comes to, to this same-sex issue, I just see Christians just absolutely lose their minds on this stuff. Well, this is that's the reason I said this is the issue, to some extent, for our generation, because you're going to be opposed by the world. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't hard 30 years ago to oppose uh, homosexuality because 90% of the people thought it was wrong. Right. In all cases. The public schools have done a wonderful job. Um, I mean, they set out to do this. All you have to go is, do is go back and look at what the NEA was saying 30 years ago. Um, the NEA and the public schools have transformed a generation. And the sexual revolution has also sort of come of age you know if if sex is not uh, constrained by God uh, in, the, in the sense of it being within the context of marriage you know we it used to be that if people were um living together outside of marriage, they were told, um, you know, they would be disciplined by the church. Very few people, you know, they've, they've watered down what the Bible says about divorce. They've watered down what it says about fornication. This is just the next step. And so, you know, um, all the stuff that's come, I mean, to some extent, I, I, I think that, um, you know, look at what's going on with Julian uh, Javidian. 
Yes, I was reading about that. You know, this man is not biblically qualified to be a pastor. But that doesn't stop me. Oh, I, um... Uh, the guy's name escapes me at the moment, but um, David Hawking, years ago, that's who his name was. Um, David Hawking, um, was involved in um, scandal, and his church prescribed uh, a, a, I think it was a two-year time of restoration for him. And Chuck Smith stepped in and said, this man's too gifted to be out of the pulpit for two years. And six weeks later, had him preaching at a Calvary chapel. Wow. And, you know, if the Bible doesn't, if the Bible doesn't matter in all things, why does it matter in anything? Yeah. Yeah. So... You know, in in the PCUSA, the, the Presbyterian Church um, uh, USA, the mainline denomination, it was women deacons in the in the twenties, women pastors in the thirties, women I mean, I'm sorry, women deacons in the twenties, women elders in the thirties, women pastors in the fifties. And years ago, I interviewed a lady. Uh, I think I may have mentioned this last week. She she was a minister in, in the PCUSA, and they were still wrestling with whether to ordain homosexuals. And I, I was trying to lead her to where she would admit that it was the same hermeneutic, the same method of interpreta- uh, interpretation that gave us women deacons that was now giving us, I mean, or women pastors that gave us ordaining homosexual pastors. And she said, oh, I agree completely. And she said, it scares me to death. She said, "Children, or, she said, young people are asking me, why should we even get married? Wow. I mean, I thought I was leading her you know, to something that she wouldn't want to recognize because she would have to back up from. She recognized that she just didn't back up. Right. Yeah, it's just yeah, the, the the culture just seems to be on a real just a rocket slide down the down the mountain, so to speak. How 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 do we as churches um, how do we how do we combat this uh, the slide? Um, I think I think first of all we need to know the truth. We need to we need to yeah. This is the reason one of the reasons we did the the video we did. We did it as an outreach to people who see themselves as gay Christians. Uh, it's a plea to them, but it's also meant to inform Christ, you know, uh, Christians don't be deceived by these things. But, you know, we need to, first of all, be clear on the truth. We need to recognize that this is just a symptom of a deeper issue. What is, you know, what is the gospel? What does it mean to be a Christian? There are people who still are um, especially offended by homosexual behavior, but they're not offended by the adultery and the other things that are mentioned in First Corinthians 6 that are in, incompatible with being a believer. 
um, you know, there's there are people who are um, violating other other things and saying, well, you know, all sin is sin, and you know, therefore, you know, we shouldn't be accepting this. But I'm going to live this way because that's between me and Jesus. We need to be telling people that if you're living in the things described in 1 Corinthians 6 and Galatians 5, you're not a believer. Yeah. And, and the church has to play a part. Now, I love yeah, how Michael, church, Horton, Michael Horton says, you know, the Christian faith, it's a personal faith, but it's not a private faith. No. No, we've got to stop catering to people as consumers. The church is not the church is not a commodity to be sold. Jesus isn't a commodity. We're the church of the living God. We're the household of faith. We're the pillar and ground of the truth. And uh, I offended a whole bunch of professing Christians uh, a couple years ago. Sean McCraney invited me to his show, and he, he's a local heretic. And I think he, he thought he was going to have a gotcha moment with me. Uh, he got one later when they played some games. But he said he wouldn't know if I, if I thought he was a Christian. I said, no. <laughs> you know, you have all these issues uh, with, I mean, you're teaching heresy. But, but first and foremost, Jesus says if, if someone won't hear the church, we're to treat them as a heathen and a tax collector. Right. And I said, you, you're you proud of the fact you don't listen to any church anywhere. And I said, therefore, I can't be any more loving than Jesus. Hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you. I'm going to call you to repentance and faith, but I'm not going to treat you as a brother. Yeah, and just and folks, so you guys know that, um, you know, Pastor Jason does not use, you know, those terms heretic lightly. Uh, if I recall, you had uh, Rob Savolka, who we've had on the show, uh, doing the thing on Mormonism, and another Baptist pastor. So you have like a, a Presbyterian, a non-denominational guy, and a Baptist confronting him. So, you know, it's not like Pastor Jason thinks he's the Pope or or something like that. It was men from different, you know, denominations that were calling uh, McCraney. I actually took the Free Will Baptist pastor with me, hoping that by both of us opposing him that, you know, it would give a little more credence to it. Right. right. This is a man who called the Trinity unbiblical garbage rooted in polytheistic paganism. He's teaching that the second coming of Jesus was in 70 AD, and there is no future resurrection of the body. There is no future coming of Christ. He, This is a guy who uh, says that everybody gets out of hell. This is a guy who attacks the Bible. And the whole idea that it's the authoritative word of God, he, he puts forward uh, his personal spirit against the Bible. This is a guy who says that, uh, 
you know, anyway. If he's not a heretic, sure. no one is. Right. And this is not something we, we you know, I don't use those terms lightly. I, I brought a free will Baptist, a self-described Arminian Baptist, with me to stand against him. And we both stood against him on his um, attacks on the Trinity. You know, we, we disagree very strongly with each other on a number of things. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm a Calvinist. He's an Arminian. Uh, I'm a I'm a Pado Baptist. He's a Credo Baptist. But we stood together uh, to defend the, the deity of Christ. Can I, can I ask you a question about this, Pastor Jason? Do you guys uh, in your in your church? Do you guys do like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed? Do you guys do you guys do those things? Yeah, we read the Nicene Creed every week. Wow, and I love that. I love that. I think that's part of the issue is um, if you're not doing some of the creeds and the confessions and that, I'm sure you guys probably teach through the Westminster um, Confession and catechisms as well. But I think that's doing where that Sunday school right now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, you are a card carrying Presbyterian. But I think that's where, where some so, so much of this confusion comes, and you get the people like McCraney's, and you get the people like um, you know Matthew Vines and these guys. Is it that you know the Protestant Church, in a lot of ways, has kind of left the, the historic, rooted Christian faith? Well, I, honestly, are you still there? Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. That was a sound on the on the line there. I couldn't tell. I. My argument would be that 90-plus percent of the people out there don't even have a clue what Protestant means because, at best, it's not Catholic. But it, but the idea of the Protestant Reformation, the idea, you know, the Protestants didn't claim that they were inventing something new. Luther didn't set out to create the Church of Luther. Um I think he'd probably slap some people if they call, you know, for calling themselves Lutherans, if he was still around. But especially with Calvin and the Reformed wing of the Reformation, they saw themselves as the true Catholics. They saw themselves as going back not only to the Scriptures, but also connecting to the historic understanding of those scriptures in the church. It was the it was the Roman church that had left Catholicism. It uh so the the you look at the church uh you look at the church fathers, how did they worship? What was their understanding of the scriptures? And so you know the the Protestant Reformation uh in Switzerland didn't start with Luther. It started with Zwingli actually reading the the commentaries of Chrysostom. The printing press made the Bible available, but it also made the church fathers available. And they had absolutely no problem holding to sola scriptura, scripture alone is our infallible rule of faith and practice, and yet saying with the same breath, and we rejoice that we stand in the true Catholic faith against right. Rome. Right. 
because Rome had abandoned Augustine's reading of the scriptures. They had abandoned Chrysostom's reading of the scriptures. You know, the the most denounced heresy in all church history is Pelagianism and semi-Pelagianism, and that's exactly what the medieval Roman church had embraced. And so rather than creating this, this fantasy history where, you know, that you see like in the Trail of Blood that um, all of these heretical groups were really just Anabaptist, going back to John the Baptist, you know, there really is a, a Catholic tradition, and it's been more and less visible, but we didn't, you know, we didn't get started in the 1500s. Um, <laughs> Amen. You know, we 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 weren't the Protestant, um, especially the Reformed side. You know, you had you had the Lutherans and many of the Anglicans who basically they all they wanted to throw out the things that were clearly forbidden in Scripture. They they were the less thoroughgoing Reformation. On the other extreme, you had the Anabaptists who didn't want to reform the church. They wanted to reinvent it. They were restorationists. Um, and like a lot of the Pentecostals, they were claiming that they didn't need the Bible because they had the Holy Spirit telling them new and better things. Wow. Um, and Anabaptists ran the gamut. Uh, some were pacifists. Some led armies uh, slaughtering anyone who disagreed with them and threatening uh, to kill people who wouldn't submit to rebaptism. And um, when they took over the town of Munster, uh, they introduced polygamy and communism. So the Soviet Union actually built a, a monument to some of the early Anabaptists because they, wow. they, they saw in them a kindred spirit. I mean, a lot of the early Anabaptists were closer to Joseph Smith than they were Paige Patterson as goofy as he is. Um, but uh, anyway, the uh, Paige Patterson's just been championing the Anabaptists is the reason I mentioned that. <laughs> but at any rate, um, the the Protestant Reformation was not something new. It was some it was it was going back to the Bible and reading the church fathers not as authoritative but understanding we're not the first generation to read these things right. and what we see in our country today is we've given up this whole idea of there being a historic united catholic church instead we have the church of bob <laughs> uh somebody you know bob or Joe or whoever you want to pick, Bob goes out and he has some kind of experience and he goes and floats around several churches out there and learns to strum on a guitar and he comes up with the idea he's going to start his own fellowship somewhere. And Bob does what what's right in his own eyes and who's to tell him otherwise? And you come along and you say, Bob, you realize that there are other people been reading these, this Bible for a long time, and um, you know you need to recognize the Bible has a lot to say about church discipline. You know, the membership's not just—it's not some kind of weird thing. It's—it's it's 
covenanting together. You know, you know, you know who your elders are. You know, um, there's a visible church. And Bob says, "Well, I don't see that. You know, I, we're just going to love Jesus." <laughs> and you say, "Bob, how are you going to practice church discipline?" Well, I think that the I think the Bible is about loving people. I mean, I, I asked Sean McCraney years ago about Matthew 18, and he said you'll have to refresh my memory. So I explained it to him. Well, I think that's for a different dispensation. Oh. And so I said, well, what about First Corinthians five? Yeah, you know, that's not a that's nothing Jewish there. <laughs> You know, here's a Gentile church, and there's discipline within church. And he blows it off and gives me the standard answer, you know, well, I think we're just supposed to be loving people. And it's like, do you think Paul was into loving people? This is the Paul who says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And it's Jesus who said, practice Matthew 18. But, But very... I, I never cease to be amazed at the radical ignorance people have of a whole lot of things today. I mean, I think public schools lies at the heart of that. Yeah. You know, huge, yeah. Huge numbers, huge numbers of high school graduates can't point Pacific Ocean out on a on a world map. I. Harry. Years ago, you mentioned Michael Horton. They did a survey, and I mentioned it. I I, I thought it was an exaggeration until I asked a a young lady that I worked with. She was 30 years old. She had grown up in the Episcopal Church and gone to a Presbyterian day school. She had been in church nearly every Sunday of her life. I put the three questions to her. Name the four Gospels. How many disciples did Jesus have? Or what event is celebrated by Easter? She couldn't answer any of the three questions. Really? She'd been in church almost every Sunday of her life. Eighty percent of high school seniors couldn't answer those questions 25, 30 years ago now. About 25, I guess it was. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's uh, it's amazing. It uh, shows the need, I think, for the catechisms and the confessions because so much of the time, if you're not doing those, you just don't get it. You just don't. It's not. You're not hearing about justification. You don't hear sermons by justification by faith alone or the doctrine of the Trinity or you know any. How about hell? How about just oh, yeah. judgment in hell? <laughs> yeah. Jesus spoke more of hell than anyone else. And he speaks of judgment over and over and over. And yet, you know, I, I preach through whole books of the Bible, at a, you, know, um, you know, going verse by verse. There's very few churches that do that. And those that do, they don't tend to, They don't tend to actually preach what's there most of the time. <laughs> yeah. 
but we stand for the truth. I think I think you ask what does the church need to do? One of the things we need to do is have confidence in God. Mm. And we need to pursue a, a new reformation that's really just an old reformation. We need to remember what it means to be Protestant. That a diligent use of the means of grace is not legalism. Yes. Um, the we we need to stop being embarrassed when the schismatic nuts get up and start ranting about legalism. Um, there is legalism out there. But most of the people ranting about legalism, they don't love the law. For them, it is inconceivable that the psalmist can say, oh, how I love thy law. um, I think we need to practice discipline and start weeding out these people and, and take take stands as churches. Um, when when Charles Stanley gets up there and says that this is not a salvation issue, I can say he is preaching grave error. I, I'm not saying he's not a believer. That, that's, that's not my position to uh, to make that call. I'm not God. But I can tell right. you this. He's, treat, he's, te- he's, he's not preaching the biblical gospel anymore. Yeah. yeah. And you know, when uh you know, his mentor, uh who's dead now, Zane Hodges, uh he argued that if he says faith without works is dead, but it doesn't mean it wasn't once alive, and if it was alive even for a moment, it's saving faith. And so, you know, their idea is, you know, the with the parable of the sower, any seed that sprouts is a Christian. Even if it's choked by the cares and concerns of this world, even if it's if it melts in persecution, all these warnings that you see in Scripture, Jesus saying, "If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father." Oh, that's 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 about rewards. Um, Zane Hodges literally described a man who abandoned the faith, became a full-blown pagan. I think he uh, denied everything he once believed, and he said, but I know he's going to heaven. We need to love people enough to say, you're wrong. Yeah. And I think this – Michael Brown wrote an article, and I'm, I'm not a big fan of Michael Brown. I mean, says some, I think he's pretty good on the issue of, of, of homosexuality. Some other issues maybe not so much. But he wrote this article that uh, came out uh, – might have been a year ago. I think it was Let the Separation Come. And he says the, the question of gay Christianity is not a minor issue as it affects our views of the authority of Scripture – the meaning of marriage and sexuality, and the importance of gender distinctions, not to mention having massive implications for the society at large. 
That's why I welcome the coming separation over this issue. And as painful as the division will be within the churches, denominations, ministries, and even families, it's absolutely necessary and unavoidable. So I I think maybe in one sense, um, maybe this this whole, you know, in the last 20 years of, of putting in, you know, the homosexual arguments from Scripture... I think it's really exposed a glaring weak spot and hopefully will separate the you know the true churches of Christ from those who are not. What what are your thoughts on that? Well, I honestly was expecting Hillary to win and for the separation to be, to become even more pronounced when Churches were losing their tax exempt status. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when who knows other, you know what other persecution was coming. Um, I don't see that as now um, coming over the horizon, at least anytime soon. Uh, even though I'm not a, a big Trump fan by any stretch, uh, I think Trump is is kind of like Jehu. He's better than Jezebel, but. He may get rid of Baal, you know, Jehu got rid of Baal worship, but he never got rid of the idolatry. And, you know, I'm not looking for um, an Israelite king as president anyway, but right. I think I think that there is division, and I think that, I think that, um, unfortunately, a whole lot of, we've seen this over and over. The reality is most people, We'll just go along. The liberals and the mainline denominations were never the majority. They, but they, they managed to get rid of. It was actually the, it was actually the evangelicals, the moderates, who got rid of the um, J. Gresham Machen and and the others in the Presbyterian Church as troublemakers. Because they were the ones jumping up and down saying we need to practice church discipline. We need to take a stand for the truth. We do, we can't we can't continue to compromise on these things. And they were seen as troublemakers. And so when they got when they when they disciplined Machen for having a an alternative. Um, organization to support foreign missions within the Presbyterian Church. The 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 bottom didn't fall out in one day. They they didn't it wasn't just overnight that they collapsed. But what happens is it's like a frog in a kettle. They keep just keep people compromised a little more and a little more and the heat keeps keeps getting turned up a little more and a little more. I don't think there's a great division coming unless God sends us a special blessing. I think that I think that the mainline Protestant denominations have completely abandoned anything remotely describable as Christianity. Um, it's not saying that there aren't some left that still hold to some semblance of that. But as a body, uh, you know, I like I I debated the pastor of the first uh, or the largest mainline Presbyterian church last year and then I debated pastor of um, 
First Baptist of Salt Lake this year. Neither of these men, men make any pretense to believing that the Bible is the Word of God. They're making it up by what they feel and what people want. And that was abundantly clear in those, in those debates. So they're gone. What I think is happening now is that the evangelical churches are the new liberal churches. I think that there's going to be um, some division, but I think people are going to be shocked at how few really take a stand. Um, God can be merciful. I mean, Southern Baptist Convention was going right behind the rest of them. Um, back forty, or, uh, back about forty years ago, I mean, Southern Baptist Convention was as liberal as the Methodist Church, if uh, if not maybe more so, forty years ago. Right. In a lot of places, there was a conservative resurgence, but like the PCA. Um, it, it tended to be more against folks outside rather than really coming back to what does it mean to be a Protestant? And um, we'll see what comes of all that. But, you know, you look, you look at the PCA. Who, who succeeds D. James Kennedy in his church, Tullian Javidian? Uh, I, I, apart from a great revival, which I pray for every day, I think that we're going to see the death of a thousand cuts on what used to be known as evangelicalism in this country. It's going to be more and more emotive, more and more devoid of any kind of content. And there's going to be a whole lot of people that you think will take a stand who won't. And unless unless the Lord of the Harvest sends blessing, um, we're in a mess. But we labor in expectation. Um, we dig ditches expecting the water to come. But I think that it's going to. I think that we need to be refined some more, probably, judging my reading yeah. of history. But, yeah. but God, God will do what He wants to do. Right. I think that. I think that armed. I think that armchair theology is going to go out the window with with easy believism. I think that we're going to have to rediscover the holiness of God. We're going to have to rediscover the wrath of God. And we're going to have to be willing to take a stand for the truth, even if people hate us for it. Mm. And uh, Jesus said they will. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, but unfortunately a whole bunch of folks I grew up with was thought that we don't get raptured away before that ever happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pastor Jason, we appreciate you 
your time and uh I think I I hope you know this show is is a blessing to you uh folks out there. Again you can go to Facebook and uh just find Theology Matters with the Palouse. Pastor Jason, where can they find your your church, uh your website and that? Yeah, the the church website is gospelutah.org. The uh we have a bunch of LDS videos at lds.video and the earnest plea to gay Christians is at gaychristian.video. Um Devin if you will, let me I don't want to leave on too negative a note here. Let me Sure. Sure. Let, let, let me give the flip we side have of time, here. So. Okay, yeah, we have my, time so I have I labor not just with confidence, but every conviction that Jesus Christ is going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I labor knowing that not one of his people will be lost. He will accomplish everything he sets out to do. Uh I have I have no doubt in my Lord. That being said, I think that the American church keeps thinking that band-aids uh, are going to make things better. If we just come up with a new program, if we just come up with a new this or that or the other, I look at a lot of what calls itself conservative Protestantism, conservative confessional Protestantism. And it's people who act like the world, but they've read a little theology. I think those people have to be shaken as well. I think that, I think we have to, um, until we recognize the glory of Christ and the glory of his church that the church is not a club it's the covenant people of God and we and we have ministers who know that they're going to you know Hebrews 13:17 they're going to stand before a holy God and answer for having kept watch over people's souls until we have people who quit acting like shoppers looking for their ears to be tickled and say, these are God's people, and I'm committed here, and I'm committed to the Word of God, and I'm going to live it. And Lord's Day worship is the closest taste of heaven I'm ever going to have in this life, on any kind of regular basis. And the Sabbath is, the, is a delight. It's the Lord's Day. And I'm not to forsake the assembling of myself with this people and the treasures in this world they're going to they're going to pass away but uh treasures in heaven never pass away until we live as if we love Jesus and are ready not only to die for him but to live for him i don't expect blessing in this in this country uh on any large scale thing. God can do whatever he wants. But I look at Uganda. Uganda, the Lord has turned that country upside down. 
but he also sent him a, a, a president that ate Christians, literally. He cannibalized them to terrorize wow. them. Wow. And that that brought a reformation because, you know what, uh, people don't want to play so much at Christianity. They don't want to play at anything remotely looking like biblical Christianity if it's going to lead to death. Yeah. But, I mean, it's not that it's not that some kind of religion doesn't stick around, but the middle ground got vacated, and then God sent revival. And it's messy over there. I'm not saying it's not. Uh, anyway, I think I think we have to stop acting like a bunch of kids and realize this is real life, and there's he- heaven and hell in the balance, and there's souls in the balance. When I address those folks in the debate, I address them as a fellow sinner who deserved hell. And I told him, you know, I get tempted by stuff all the time. But I keep coming back to Jesus. Right. And the love of Jesus drives out the love of the world. And it's until we until we stop playing games, until we stop drifting from church to church to church, and until we stop uh, making uh, an hour on Sundays, you know the the, the nature of our, our religious life. Um, we're doomed when when we when we treat you know when when we what are some things we can do be doing positively? Uh, how about we go back to the hymn book God gave us in the middle of the Bible? Salter. There you go. There you go. Uh, that'll that'll drive out a whole bunch of people right away because it's not a bunch of <laughs> "God is my girlfriend" songs. Uh, your your theology will get radically remade if you sing the Psalms. How about we how about we preach everything in the Bible and recognize that. Uh, you know, yes, the ceremonial law has been fulfilled in Christ. The civil law is, um, is no longer binding except in terms of general equity. But the moral law has never changed. God hasn't changed. And if it was worthy of death in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. um, you know, Matthew Vines raises a really good question. Why is it, you know, he's like, um, we don't think that violating the Sabbath is a big deal, and that got the death penalty. See, why would we think that homosexuality was a big deal when it got the death penalty? Maybe because we were wrong on the first one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Is there anything for which God commanded the death penalty that's not a big deal? Right. So, anyway, I think we need to go back and discover what the Protestant Reformation was all about and recognize that there's a wonderful treasure there that we need to go back to. It's the Bible. It's um, 
it's a church shaped by that Bible. It's relationships that run far deeper than what we grew up with. Amen. Amen. We appreciate you you coming on and uh, spending so much of your time with us. Is there any particular resources for those maybe who are wanting some uh, decent books or or something uh, we can post your debates? Um, well, the best just, uh, any in terms of um, in terms of the homosexual issue. I don't know anything better than James White's book, The Same Sex Controversy. Uh, there's a little bit heavier reading that you can get from Robert Gagnon, um, but I think James actually covers it better and clearer and more concisely than Gagnon does. I mean, Gagnon does some great stuff. I'm not taking anything away from him. But um, James White has put out some some wonderful resources on that. Um, he's done debates. I've done two debates. I'm not a debater. James is a wonderful debater. Um, but you're pretty good. My debates though. are informative. <laughs> my my debates good. are informative. Um, I'm a preacher. I'm not a debater. Um, I just figured out a long time ago most other people aren't debaters either. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but check out an earnest plea to gay Christians. It, I think it deals with all. It deals with the heart of the issue with with fines. It doesn't get into Romans one and other things. But it deals with the fundamental arguments he's making in a concise fashion. It's thirty minutes long, and, and I will um, post uh, well, we will post that on our on our page right now, folks, and uh, get that up and up and going. And if you just go to our Theology Matters page, you can find it, or, or feel free to Google it on your own, and uh, we'll have it there for for you. And you got several other videos as well. You said you're going to release some new ones, was that correct? Yeah, we've uh, we released one since I spoke with you last week uh, called Was the Burning in Your Bosom from God? And that and our other LDS videos are are available at lds.video. Uh, they're all free. They're just YouTube videos that are linked there. But uh, we, we did a, a large one called An Earnest Plea to Latter-day Saints where we deal with the historical lies and we compare Mormonism with the Bible and show that it has a different God, a different gospel. And then we um, did a smaller one called uh, The God of Brigham Young and demonstrate that the Mormon Church not only doesn't preach the God of the Bible, but doesn't even preach the God of Brigham Young. And we have their own people admitting it, um, you know, BYU professors and such. And uh, then we turned out one called The Vanishing Lamanites uh, that deals with their claims that the American Indians are uh, actually Israelites and how their, how that state, how their expression of that has changed over time. Uh, it used to be all the Indians and all the Pacific Islanders were Lamanites until DNA showed otherwise, and now they're like, we're sure there were some out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we've got two that we're working on right now. One is called uh, After Mormonism, Atheism, and it basically tries to critique. You know, Many people come out of Mormonism, and they think that atheism is their only alternative. And we, we show that 
atheist act an awful lot like Mormons in terms of lying about their past and things like this. And we challenge them to um, deal with the God of the Bible. And then the other is the magical Mormon scriptures. And it's just an overview of how the Mormon scriptures radically change over time with things appearing and disappearing and radically transforming and it's it's basically meant to be a, something to raise some questions and get them to watch the larger presentation of the gospel. Well, we do appreciate your time, and uh, folks, you check out our page. We will have his video, um, the earnest plea to gay Christians, on on the page there, and. Um, Hopefully this has been a, a blessing to you guys. Feel free to contact us. You can contact us through our Facebook page, and we will get back with you if you have questions. And uh, could get you Pastor Jason's. Well, if you go to his his website, what's give the church's website one more time? GospelUtah.org. Yep. If you go there, I'm sure they can email you, and, and uh, he can get back with you. But. Uh, we appreciate you coming on, and I uh, look forward to having you on again, hopefully in the near future. Well, Devin, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, please continue the good work. Thank you, sir. Thank God, you. Bless. God bless. You too. Bye-bye. All right, folks. Uh, great show. Really appreciate Pastor Jason, dear brother, and uh, man is a workhorse, doing a great, great, great work out there in Utah. And, uh you know, folks, uh, if if there's there's believers out there around that area where he's at, uh, I know he would love to have you in the church. And, uh, you know, they need good godly men in Utah and women and children. Uh, so please be sure to check out uh, Christ Presbyterian Church. And I um, want to thank you guys for being with us. And uh, we got some some pretty neat things coming up, I think. In the yeah, let's see, we're probably going to um, may not do another show until the beginning uh, of the new year. I'm not quite sure on that. We may. Uh, we've got Nancy Piercy slotted to come on to do uh, an interview on her book Total Truth. Uh, there's been a new DVD uh, that is a new documentary that's been put out called Patterns of Exodus, which we want to, uh, we're going to bring a gentleman on, and, and uh, in fact, Chris, Chris Van Allsburg is the guy I'm wanting to bring on, bait with Fred Butler, uh, but Chris is uh, big into archaeology and that, and uh, this is a phenomenal, a phenomenal documentary, uh, and so we will we will be taking a look at that as well, but um, we appreciate you folks. Um Really do appreciate uh, just you know people listening and downloading. Um, we got you know a great podcast. Uh, one of the things we plan to do in uh, the beginning of the next year, starting at the end of January, is I'm going to be launching a church, and uh, this is something that's been on uh, you know been on our heart for a long time. Um, I was ordained back, I want to say, September, and, uh, you know, we've wanted a church that is um, confessional, meaning we hold to a, one of the confessions, it'll be a it'll be a Reformed Baptist church, 
but also a church that is, uh, you know, has a love for apologetics and a love for theology. And not only that, but a love for evangelism and a love for outreach and, and being involved with prison ministries and the pro-life ministry and <clears throat> all those all those ministries, homeless ministries, drug addiction. Uh, we really want to, to you know to see uh, the community uh, just changed by the power of the gospel and be a, be a light in a dark place. Um, not that you know where I live is a terrible place because uh, we have a lot of wonderful churches out here, and I uh, certainly don't want to take away anything from them. Uh, but you know we do want to let you know we will be uh, doing a church launch. Uh, it'll be starting Saturday nights. Uh, it'll st- start January 28th, Saturday night, 5:30. Uh, we'll we'll start Saturday nights, and um, if we can get a decent enough core, eventually move to uh, a place on Sunday mornings. And so, please be in prayer about that uh, because we really do want it to be um, something that is a blessing to the community. And uh, with that being said, we appreciate you folks. We look forward. Uh, if we don't do another show, we will put on some uh, some um, older archived shows. Uh, around this time, about two years ago, we did a, a really good show with Rob Bowman uh, on the doctrine of the Trinity and the incarnation with Christmas. And so uh, we will probably be uploading uh, that at some point because it's just a phenomenal show. Anyway, folks, appreciate you guys. God bless you. And until we see you again, God bless. Merry Christmas.